Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 291 of Cyclocross Radio. On this show, we are talking about the World Cup in Spain in Benidorm and everything that went down in those races. Really, the, the final World Cup that we're going to see the top contenders for the World Championship together. So I don't I don't think we get Wout at Besançon or Femme. So this this is kind of a the the race to as almost the uh, the opening round for what we're going to be able to see in the World Championship. So we talk a little bit about that. I know that Zach is going to follow up in even more depth in the CX Hairs Bulletin, which if you're not a subscriber already, uh, you should get on that. Go to cxhairs.substack.com. Uh, sign up for the bulletin, and if you become a subscriber, then you will get all of the free content, but also the exclusive content just for subscribers. And you will also, and this is important for the podcast as well, you will be given an invitation to the CXR's bulletin Slack channel. A lot of great conversations and discussions going on there. It's super positive. It's a really fun place to hang out. And what I've started doing in there as well is opening a comment thread for not only uh, the cyclocross radio after it happens, but before just uh, so soliciting questions and comments and stuff that we can uh, go off of and talk about in the episode. If anything's really uh, needling you that you're yelling at your podcast machine saying, why don't they ever talk about this? Then, uh, you know, leave a comment in the CX hairs bulletin slack channel that's for subscribers of the cx hairs bulletin and uh yeah we'll try to address it on the show speaking of the show uh cyclocross radio it's part of the wide angle podium podcast network it is independent cycling media every day we hear another story about big media and layoffs or not really being in tune with their audiences and getting a story wrong possibly uh and and we try to be more um, community focused and really not worried about what outside influences are pressuring us to do or not to do. It's it's kind of the benefit of being small, uh, and and this network consists of some great shows. Uh, Slow Ride Podcast is just amazing. Been going on for gosh, I think a decade now maybe right around there but just super fun those guys are uh amazing and fun to listen to rob kelly he is getting geared up it is uh crit season coming up uh and that is the place criterium nation to get all of your information on crits nowhere fast it's uh online racing it's the kind of thing that seemed a lark a couple years ago when these guys started this podcast and now it's it's a real deal it's it's a real thing it's a it's a it is a serious discipline that people take seriously and they get into all of the uh background information the racing everything that's going on in the world of online bike racing uh nowhere fast they are on top of it Grodio, we've been a, a lot more consistent on Grodio. Amanda and I have been talking to a lot of people at the top of the gravel uh, world, and you know, we talked to the CEO of USA Cycling. We just had a great conversation with uh, Haley Smith and Andrew Lesperance. We got another one um, coming out probably right after this episode. So Grodio, another great show. Uh, this is all to say, if you go to the Wide Angle Podium. 
Podcast Network, WideAnglePodium.com. You can become a member and you can help us support this show and these shows and con- and allow us to continue to do what we're doing. WideAnglePodium.com. Click on the donate button. You get to support the shows that you listen to, and it's a huge, huge help for us. If you want to get in touch with the show, feedback at cxhairs.com, easiest way to do it. Uh, If you want to get uh, in touch specifically with Zach, easier to do it at cxhairsbulletin at gmail.com. All right. It's episode 291 of Cyclocross Radio. We got Zach and Michael in the media pit. We're talking about Benidorm, and we're doing that right now. We're back in the media pit, and I'm not sure what else we have to talk about other than this Spanish World Cup. That I, I feel like that that easily takes us through the hour. I think the only thing really we can touch on briefly is uh, world championship news but other than that i mean i think it's i think it's spain spain the whole way but but as a precursor to that michael let's 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 talk about coke didn't you didn't you do your <laughs> your banded coke you, talk, you talking about cajun coke cider? yes <laughs> down on the bayou <laughs> yeah yeah i did a little bandit cross race yesterday it was very fun. And there was so much sand. I just got to say that I've been racing cross in New Orleans since 2013. That was the first time I've ever ridden my cross bike on this beach. And it, I can't believe we've never practiced there or did any races there. It was so much fun. It was so much sand training and there was grass and gravel. Oh, just cool. I get it. I get now why Coxada is a thing. Well, and it also just goes to prove that, you know, the best sand rider in the world may be somebody who's never ridden in sand before. For all you know, you could have been racing like the real Coke Sida because you come you come away with the wind in this. You're a you know, you're a natural sand rider. You're you're like Sweck. You're the Cajun Sweck. I, I would I would gladly be the Cajun Sweck. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Zach, uh just sticking inside for the riding. What's what's going on in the Chicago land? Yeah, I don't have any. Uh, I did not do the Cajun Coke cider, uh, but I, you know, in the intro, you're talking just about Benadrum. Are you gonna are you gonna cancel Castle Cross like that? You're right. You're right. We should. <laughs> I mean, it's called just Castle do Cross. 20, Can we do this in thirty just do seconds? Twenty minutes on Zona Becky. <laughs> what? All right, so. Uh, Stibar no longer on quick step. They got to bring in their cyclocross understudy. They bring Tim Merlier out of the, uh, you know, off the bench, get him in there, takes the win. You know, that's, that's, I think that's your highlight from the men's side. Denise Betsima on the other side, I, I think went out for a training ride and ended up winning a cyclocross race, uh, decided not to make the trip to Spain and got the win in the Ethias cross instead what else do we need to say we did it 30 seconds like it was great that was great i will say shout out to bulletin subscriber uh, austin Phillips in third yeah great you know great finish for austin and david vanderpool also in third so he's still trying to make his case to make the belgian world's team i don't know i think it actually was announced this week wasn't it yes did he make the team no 
Sorry, David's not on the Belgian team. He'd be on the Dutch team. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Correction. <laughs> he didn't make. He didn't make either. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, right. He definitely didn't make the Belgian team. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's let's get to it here. Let's just let's just start off with. Um, you know, this, this global experiment of cyclocross, finding new venues, finding new places. Is it going to succeed? Are the people going to accept it? I, I, think, I think from looking at, well, A, them selling out tickets like with a week to go and having to stuff in more people to the venue. I don't know the last time I heard about a cyclocross race selling out for spectators. And then just the atmosphere was pretty amazing. Uh, and, but a little different, little different kind of racing, Zach, little different kind of a uh, track out there at, in Spain. You don't say Michael, wasn't this, what did you, what do you call it? Uh, short track gravel. Short track gravel. I, that's kind of what, you know, I think Bill made that point as well. This was kind of like what we were hoping for. So I, you know, I, I was watching this race and I was just like, wow, this course, there's not much here. What did, what did you guys independent of the racing? So obviously the racing is a separate thing, but like as a cyclocross track, uh, what did you guys think? I thought for a race, that had so many speed limits on it. It was wild how freaking fast they were going. It was, it was such a duality. It was like, you know, you had that one hairpin turn that you had to be crawling through. We saw, saw so many people just sliding out, you know, in the, in the loose dust and, and gravel. But at the same time, once, once they were able to go in a straight line, it was, it, it truly, it looked like crit speeds out there. It was just so freaking fast. You know, I don't know that area, that terrain that well, so I can't speak to what they could have had. But I, I, I always come back to this idea that, like, you can have different types of courses, and sometimes it's about letting the racers race as opposed to putting in these features that maybe sort of break the race apart right away. And I thought it, you know, Bill, you're telling us that some of the riders didn't actually like the race, but from a spectator's perspective, we had really good racing, so it seemed... Like an awesome venue, um, and I think maybe that was helped by the crowds running back and forth, like we see in Belgium. And so, I don't know. I, I was, I'm, I'm into it. I thought the venue was cool. I'm sure they'll make it better. I mean, obviously, some things to improve. We had two of the best finish laps that we've had all year. I was more, in, and I don't know. Maybe it's just that the the announcers, at least on flows. They kept they kept saying it's not Northern European cyclocross. That, that seemed to be the the phrase that pays for this race. It's not Northern European cyclocross, and I I don't know if I should admit this, but over the last four to six weeks, I'm getting a little tired of Northern European cyclocross. So it's kind of fun to mix it up and see something completely different. And I was engaged watching these races from start to finish, and I I think that we got like two just awesome races, two two of the two of the best races we've seen in quite some time. I think venue wise, it reminded me, you know, you look at like the off cambers, it was like these grass off cambers with the just the trails of dust coming off the bikes. It really it it had a USCX vibe to me, at least that those parts of the courses. Yeah, it definitely reminded me with the speed of Fayetteville. Maybe this one have <clears throat> been a good warm up for Fayetteville. And I guess, 
you know, it's a Boltron tradition that we like to overanalyze things. And unfortunately, I just realized that because Wout's not racing the World Cup and neither is Van Empel, I think we're going to have to overanalyze this race, at least I am, uh, that really has maybe no bearing or less bearing on, you know, the World Championship course. But I guess like similar to Fayetteville, it seemed like with the fact that it was hard, it was hard. There were no decisive spots and groups were staying together that it it makes for one great lap of racing where pinch points and, you know, areas like that become that much more important. And so the, the real tactical aspect of it played out in both of the races. And it seems like my general take and, you know, thank you, uh, Elon for switching Twitter where it's always to the, for you, uh, every time you log into the desktop. Now I felt like I got more of a vibe of what the cycling community was saying. And it just seems like people are less complaining about courses and more exciting about the racing it seems like there's been this change i feel like five years ago it would just be like this course sucks and yeah that race was good but blah the course sucks and this isn't world cup cyclocross so maybe we're evolving to where we can appreciate these differences and i think for everyone it you're right bill it was a nice change of pace from just the slogs of 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 belgium you know uh that we get this time of year it it also you know, going back to we were sort of joking about calling it short track gravel, but for me, it it really did have the feel of a short track mountain bike race in parts, you know, with that group racing, with that, you know, there really aren't many places, as you said, Zach, to, to get a big advantage, to be able to pass. Plus, like Fayetteville, although it wasn't paved, the biggest feature on here was a freaking road climb. I mean, how, how much do we see that in, in cyclocross, which was pretty sweet. And it, it was a, at least in the women's race, it was a decisive uh, feature. I mean, Kuppenberg, Kuppenberg cross. True. You're climb. right. Absolutely. No, I, they, I, take they, it back. I will say, I mean, I was like, oh, cool. A bike path. That's great use of bike infrastructure. But like, let's be honest, those kinds of things, because there's one at Namur and there's one at Overice. They're a little bit cooler when they're cobbled. It just looks a little bit more. I think they're harder. They, yeah. This was, I guess the difference is what I'm saying is why it just a straight up road climb. Like you could just, if you want to get out of the saddle and just crush it up there, you could do it. There was no... There was no using any other kind of cyclocross type skills yeah. that even on that Namor climb, even on the Copenberg climb, you still have to worry about your rear tire slipping out and this kind of stuff. This was just like, you know, just get get down and crush it. I want to talk about this race and its spot on the calendar and how just to me, I didn't sort of put this together until like last week that it's brilliant to have this Spanish World Cup in Benidorm this time of year because we're always talking about, oh, you know, are the road racers or wow or Vanderpool, you know, where's Shireen? She's at team camp. Like they're this time of year where they're training with the road teams are putting those base miles. Um, and so like, instead of trying to give and to come back to Northern Europe, to the cold and the wet, take the race to them, take the party to them. And we did. And we, I think we benefited because of that. And I, I think this should like, I'm like sold on this, being a fixture of the calendar. Like, I don't know if you push it even up one more week to right before Worlds or is, this is the perfect spot, but uh, I'm sold on it. I liked it. You know, there was, of course, some comments about the weather, you know, but I want to point out it was 50 degrees there. A lot of people were in jackets. It was, you know, like that was Fayetteville World's temps. Um, so, yeah. Some, some anyway. good, good, good Spanish cyclocross weather. It looked, yeah. I mean, if you're racing, it's perfect weather. It was sunny and perfect. like 50 degrees. It's great. You yeah. know, I mean, you're making that call if you want to go 
short sleeves. But other than that, I think it's, uh, yeah, it seemed pretty ideal as far as the racing conditions. So where should we start? Start with the women's. Women's elite race. If we're overanalyzing, I don't know if we should just start here, Zach, because it happened afterwards. But if we're overanalyzing what this means for Worlds, the the first thing that we were all asking before this race is, what is Shreen Van Anroy going to do for Worlds? We now have that answer. I guess let's just sort of get that out of the way now. She chasing those has, rainbows in the U23 race. So has decided to chase the rainbows in the U23 race. Any other and getting getting some, you know, it's kind of from what I've seen out there, it's split between people saying that's great, no reason to rush this, you know, just continue doing what you're doing, and other people saying, well, it's not fair, you're better than all those women, you've been re- winning world cups, and your two peers have moved up. Any other year, there she would not have this, even if she was winning world cups and there weren't other two u23 women with her i don't think she would have anybody would have been like yeah you have to go erase the elites it's not fair for you like like when when alvarado did it it was like hey that's pretty cool she's moving up but the fact that she has two other like 20 year olds that are doing this i think the pressure was on her to do that to follow them which is just this unique position that i don't think you find yourself in except for these generational talents yeah, I mean, I think that it's within her right to to race for the jersey. And, you know, I mean, she said she was going to talk about how to make the decision after the race in terms of how she felt. And the reality is, like, she doesn't owe you and I or any of us anything. Like, she's it's her decision and she can do what she wants. And I mean, you know, I think the fans and us were like, wow, that would, that would make it more interesting because it's a much more interesting dynamic when there's three of them all at the same level versus just two. Uh, but you know, is what it is. I'm sure that we'll see her racing the elites next year. And, uh, again, doesn't know. So anything. Yeah. I mean, that was sort of my thought was like, it changed the dynamic of the elite race actually. Um, and, you know, I kind of when was thinking, you know, that Lini Burkier was going to be the U23 world champ, and she was the one who was chasing all of them at Fayetteville and, and crashed hard, and I thought that would kind of be an interesting story for her to um, maybe come back and take that one in maybe is sort of a not as deep as field, but maybe she could still challenge uh, Shireen in U23. Um, you know, it's it's the one thing is... You know, I made the mad. I did the Magic Johnson tweet, and I said if Shireen doesn't win, you know, she's not going to race Elite Worlds. Um, but it's like you got to think about she's been at the training camp, she's been putting the miles in, like, and she got she got third, right? Like she just couldn't didn't quite have the the extra snap to answer every one of Fem's moves or Puck's moves. It's like she would have been pinging at Worlds if she had decided to race Elites. I don't know. How was that a Magic Johnson tweet? The tweet before that was more of a Magic Johnson tweet. Was that one not? not yeah. No, you said something about... If you stated any like, kind of opinion or like interesting... No, was, like and a Magic Johnson tweet would be like... Okay. It was a femme. Wasn't it a femme tweet? Yeah. yeah. No, I said I said a femme. I said if, in the beginning of the race, I said a femme can keep it upright. I think she's got this. That, that's closer. Um, but like, I mean, I, t- to spoil... <laughs> Anyway, I, I am appreciator of the, the art form that is 
the Magic Johnson. I, mean, I think of you when I when I tweeted that. I mean, that's I was like, oh great, Bill or Zach are gonna get me on this one. So it, the way you worded it, it, it had a good magic feel to it. I appreciated the uh, the Irvin <laughs> Irvin esque. Uh, but then but then you came up with the uh, you know and you you workshopped it a little. But then you came up with the the, the phrase that pays at the end. So you know, not to spoil it, the the phenomenal. That's actually recycled. I've used that before. Just uh, I, I spelled it wrong, and that's why I deleted the tweet because I had to respell it. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this uh, women's race. Bit of a, a bit of a group. What we, was you know? I mean, Sylvia Persico looked looked good. She was hanging in there with them. Brand was up there hanging in with that group. I I can tell you this: when I first when this first race first came on i thought that marie schreiber because she was up there right at the beginning was just crushing it because she was still up there like two three four laps in there and then i realized maybe my eyes are going that i was confusing the dutch national championship kit that this is the first time or maybe second time that we're seeing it with the uh uh, luxembourg one and it wasn't actually schreiber it's like the spider-man meme like the yeah. pointing. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, that's two, two of the, the same kits. But I mean, that was a little bit new that you had Puck Petersa wearing the uh, Dutch national champions kit. And I, I mean, I, may, did she win one? Maybe when she was 17, it's been a, been a hot second then that she's been able to, to win that Jersey. Right. Or did she win you 23s last year? I don't remember. Yeah, I can't, I don't know. Can't even remember. But here's my question for you, talking as we're on Jersey in Jersey kit corner. Were you able to tell the difference between Shireen Van Anroy and and uh No, because they were in the same kit, Bill. It was the same kit. No, I couldn't tell, Bill. Or was that Marie Schreiber? <laughs> no, it was Femme and Shireen. You're correct. It was Sh- Femme and Shireen. And I'm telling you, no problem telling them the part. So it's more, I think it's more of a femme and puck problem than a jersey problem. Now, for whatever reason, people can't tell them apart. Yeah, Shireen has a different, like, I mean, they have different body types, but I guess puck is kind of like closer to femme. And so maybe that's why you could not yeah. tell. I was just difference. saying, just, you know, you know, you change, you put the jersey on somebody else and all of a sudden that argument goes away. <laughs> Fair. Uh, so I guess my my takeaway from like the 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 meat of this race was kind of interesting. Um, curious to hear your thoughts. But it seemed like you know there was this group, but it seems like Puck was the one who really was dictating the pace of this group. And I think you saw a moment where they got a little bit of a gap, and it was clear that she wanted Shireen to be dropped and not be with them. And um, you know she was putting in these efforts, and Fem was just like would get on the front. And I don't think she was putting up the same tempo or whatever but it just seems like like puck has gotten a lot more confidence if we look at earlier in the season you know she was clearly not as good as femme and you know i she would do this and then just get kind of roasted in the last lap but i you know one of the takeaways i mean she was there at the end um and it seems like she's gained a lot of confidence through the season and was really dictating you know of this little mini peloton seemed to be kind of dictating the action for most of the race Michael's disagreeing. He's just like looking at me like I uh, am not correct here. So I watched I watched the race and I made plans to watch it again. Um, but work has been crazy. That's why I didn't come last week. Sorry, guys. I missed y'all. Um, I, I guess my biggest takeaway was that I thought that the, the femme who controls the field was back. The femme who looks confident and sort of sees Puck 
maybe make those moves, but it's just like, doot, 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 brings it back, nose breathing. And that was sort of my big observation because it really came down to the end where it was once again, it was Famine Puck. And you're right, and Zach, she, she made the move. She made the attack. Um, and that was her, her last match. And Femme just was like, nope, I'm back. And then I've got one more to punch again over you to the finish. And I think that's a pretty pretty good sign for Worlds. Um, and I, I'm just, I just, it's such a long season that the fact that like, I'm now looking at her sort of like injury and maybe a little bit of forced reset might be beneficial uh, in, in two weeks' time. Can we just back up just a little bit? You know, let's talk about that last lap. But Can we just back up before, I think, the most exciting part of the race, which was Femme and Puck just really going elbow to elbow, fighting for position in the last third of the lap, and go back to that road climb that I talked about, which I think, if anything, was a flex on this course. It was Femme Van Empel finally having had enough of this group that they were riding with and saying, okay, so, you know, no more of this Sunday stroll to uh, quote the, uh, <laughs> quote the slow ride boys. Uh, she was seated and rode a group of people off of her wheel who were out of the saddle pretty much giving everything they could to stay on her and only Puck really was able to stay on that wheel. That was one of the most impressive non-attack attacks I think we've seen in cyclocross. It was so calm and it was just like try to keep up because here we go. I just, I don't know. I was just floored by that. I thought it was just amazing to watch. 100% floored by that. It's almost like a silent assassin where you, you don't, they don't look like they're actually attacking you and you're just like, whoa, the watts have gone up so much right now. And yeah, I mean, she shattered the group completely and, and that, and that was it. And it was, you know, Persico was dangling. Um, Shireen and her were kind of dangling, coming back and forth. And that was the one that finally broke them off that group. Um, and that sort of, to me that, yeah, that was like, Oh, she's back. Like she's she she is back. She's healed finally. And then once they got over the top and once Puck was able to recover and get back on her wheel and then take the initiative and try to get out front, that was some of the best racing I think I've seen in cyclocross in a long time. I mean, they were leaning on each other. It was elbows out. There was a lapped rider at one point and Puck had a um drift around a corner full on front and rear brakes, but keep it upright to stay on a wheel. It was just, it was just one of the most exciting end, ends to a race. And it was just, it was the, the speed and the aggressiveness that I just don't think we always see. And it was just, uh, it was, it was super fun. It was, I, it's, it's, you know, I don't want to compare them to the men's field, but it's like Wout and, and, and Matthew at their best, you know, like fighting at the end of races and just like not worried about, you know, offending anybody and running into them or cutting off lines it's all just racing and it was just it was great i just loved it it was great to see well and i think the end of the course the the way the end of the lap played into that the the finish before the finish was well before the finish i was trying to figure out where it was you know uh Mechu made his winning move a little bit earlier um fem made hers like pretty late 
Um, you know, but it was it was very narrow and this wasn't much space as you got towards the the tail end of the lap or whatever uh, to to move around them. Um, so I guess I one other thing I noticed too about Femme Van Empel. I mean, the two times that she got past one was, you know, somehow there was a lapped rider that just decided to sit like not even there was so much room. And she's like, I- I'm just going to ride at the apex of this turn. Um, but then on the the one when Femme did pass her, she seemed a little skittish. I mean, part of the story of this course was the just the undersurface and it being really dusty or whatever. Um, and, you know, when she did get past, she took a wider line. Um, I was watching, actually, I watched her video of the pre-ride and was even took a wider line than she did in the pre-ride. But, like, she carried too much speed and it went super wide or whatever. So that was, like, that interesting aspect. It's, like, pushing those speed limits. And, you know, Femme, to her credit, like, in those moments, like, was able to cut it in much closer. And I just kind of wonder to what extent. It was like, ugh. <laughs> you know, we saw a lot of brapping, as Jeremy was saying, um, because there was a lot. There were a lot of places to like lose traction on one or both of your wheels on this course. Yeah. So the the lap riders, you feel like that's sort of something. I I just that cyclocross twenty four posted something pretty good. They were talking about how it's. I think they were saying it's not that often that you get the riders in the very last lap. They're lapping, um, and I, and so there was some discussion about well, you know the there's always a lot of discussion about the 80% rule um, and, and where they need to be taking them out or are they, they should be taking them out sooner. And I guess my sort of takeaway was like, it doesn't matter. Like if you're getting lapped on that last lap and just get out of the way, like they're like the rider got one of the riders got lapped and then got on like pucks wheel was like trying to stay with that group. And it's just like, no, don't do that. Like you're not, they're going to pull you out before you cross the finish line. So just pull the side, just get out of the way. Like that's, you could, doesn't matter what the, the the officials make a mistake. You still can make a decision to not impede the race. I think there, yes, I agree with that. Couple thoughts on this. One, you have people at the back of that field who are not at the same level of professional racer as those at the front of the field. So A, I think they don't know what, even though they know what to do, they don't know what to do. And they're like, I don't want to screw this up. And yeah, it looked like the like the one woman was just like riding straight down the middle. She pr- could have gotten out of the way. But maybe she's thinking, well, if I just stay to my course, they'll pass me and then I won't get in their line when they're trying to pass. It, who knows what's going through the head? But it's still, it's unfortunate. And the other thing that I was thinking about, you know, if, if ever there was more of an argument of why the men and the women should have equal race lengths, durations, whatever, just make it the same, is that we see this a lot more in the women's race than we do in the men's race. And I think part of the problem is because it's a shorter race usually. So these issues are happening, you know, like you're saying, Michael, there's not enough time to get them off the course. And then you don't have that extra lap or two like you do in the men's race, really to sort it out with basically nobody on on the on the track unless you're on that lead lap. So I, I think if any there was an argument to make sure that those women's races were at least 50 minutes like they're supposed to be, if not a little longer, then hopefully it gives that extra time to to sort that out at the end of the race and make sure that they have a clear finish, especially on a race like this where it's so fast and exciting at the end. And I think we'll, you know, we'll, we'll save our course analysis for the men's race, but yeah, Zach said the 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 finish was way before the finish because the the actual finish sucked. You know, I mean, it just robbed riders of a of having a an opportunity to sprint it out. So you had to win before that. 
Yeah. And I think, I guess for me, it seems like I, there's been complaints about, you know, people getting past and it seems like it's a lot easier, but it was so fast and it just so happened that a couple of these riders in multiple laps were just in the wrong place. It's like, man, that's dangerous. And you're actually affecting the outcome of, of this race. And it's not, you know, I mean, you expect that maybe like an amateur race, but not at the the highest professional level. You expect that it's going to be decided by the, the racers themselves and, you know, and, it cost one rider the lead at one point, you know, she took the lead again, but you know, who knows how that would have changed the ultimate outcome of the race. Yeah. So this one finishes up and Fem Van Ampel just, I, I think really, if anybody was wondering if she was back, I think this kind of proves that, that she's there seems to be healthy and really looking strong going in the next week and world same with puck. I think we're just uh, hopefully being set up for a, in amazing world championships. One thing we'll say about Shireen, and I think it's why, even though we respect her decision to to choose the U23 route, is that she was at a training camp with Trek. She was putting in those base miles. She was doing a lot of climbing. I think she came in here pretty pretty toasty and uh, may not have really been at top form, which only, I think, shows that two weeks' time from now, she's going to be flying. And it would have been interesting to see what she would have done in that elite field with fresh legs against a field that she's kind of dominated over the last month or so. But there it is. Anything else worth uh, pointing out? Uh, Persco, again, great race. Ended up fourth. Brandon, fifth. Uh, Zoe Backstead. Zoe Backstead is someone that I saw in person when she first came back in October and looked like she had gone through a really long road and track season and really was not ready to, to race cyclocross and was just out there and just did not look like the Zoe Backstead that we were used to seeing in races. Um, she looks like that Zoe Backstead again. I think that, you know, if, if anything, so what is she racing? Is she, she U23? Yeah. Right. She's racing age 19. So, I mean, if you look at the results, it's Shireen, Zoe, and Lene yep. are your top U23s. So, yeah. I mean, Zoe, Lene, and, you know, sometimes when you take out the rest of those riders, like those Lene and, and Zoe will be up there, you know, maybe battling with Shireen. And we could have a pretty good, pretty good fight there. Yeah, but it's good to see Zoe racing fast again. I think she's going to be flying in that U23 race, definitely looking at a, a podium spot for her in world championships. And then also uh, also worth pointing out, Magalie Rochette, back healthy racing again, uh, good top 10 for her. Anything else on the women's race? Should we move over to the Three Kings? Los Reyes. I think, Los Bill, Reyes, you, Reyes. you described this move. I, it might have been in one of our recent shows, but I think that Pitcock took just a play from your book. When you feel like shit, you know you're not going to win. Go out with a bang, with a heat check. Well, it's it's also it's like this is it, baby. This is the swan song. You're like, you know, it's graduation day. You may as well just throw everything at it. This is the last cyclocross race you're doing. It's the last cyclocross race you're doing in the world championship stripes. You know, if you're if you're not going to give it everything, we didn't even think he was racing, and then he you know shows up and um, yeah, he he's definitely going to put a show on. 
he ended up dropping back. Do we know? It looked like, to me, it looked like he possibly had soft tire, flat tire, something going on. Did did any did he say anything about that, or was he just like cooked and then second wind? I haven't. Yeah, I actually meant to look that up to see if there was. Yeah, because he because he sort of he did. You're right, Zach. He sort of had he had a hot lap in the beginning, and then he sort of came back and had like a mid race lap where he went back to the front, and I was like, oh be a little faith here you know counting out pitcock and then all of a sudden you know it was it was it was ellie Izerby who was you know the guy that was chasing down the duo saying how could you forget this short king of cx right like he's like all this talk about kings this year no one's talking about ellie so that is true that is true uh i mean so uh, to me, this race was all about tactics. And I guess, um, you know, as a, I guess as a Wout Stan, I was just kind of watching, you know, he didn't get off to the best start, but just watching Wout, even when, you know, Mechu was like blowing through the sand and he was messing it up, he was like not super concerned that he was in sixth wheel. And I just, I think that there's this level of knowledge of like where this race is going to end up. And that I think everyone kind of knew that you had to stick with the group, but like, you know, nothing was going to get away early on, even like when Vanderpool got a gap, what was finally, you know, he's like, oh, that's cool. And then I think, you know, on the climb or whatever, he's like, all right, I should probably get up there now. But it just did not seem to be a sense of urgency. And there was just like that it was going to settle eventually and that it was going to be this group um, again, because there were I don't know, just the way it was like there wasn't any tough mud sections. It was just really fast. Um, so as long as you weren't making mistakes, I don't know. It just seemed like tactically it was like we were going to end up where we ended up probably no matter what. I am not in a position to question, to, to, to criticize anybody's cyclocross skills, but I'm going to anyway. And even Wout said it before the race. He was like, I have not been on my cyclocross bike for what, two or three weeks. So who knows what this is going to look like. Were you holding your breath every time he went over those planks? <laughs> Holy cuz I mean it was like sideways to the left, sideways to the right. <laughs> oh, is he going to make the second one? And then even even coming through in the in the sand section, you know, that was where, you know, it got a little dicey there with a couple laps to go. We we're like, "Uh-oh, this is where Vanderpool is just going to pull away and and take off cuz there was a couple times Wow just flubbed it and he had to get off his bike." And I think the best thing that happened to Wout, and it's what you mentioned a, a minute ago, Michael, was that Ailey was like, hey, guys, don't forget about me. And just like, as I, I put on Twitter, it was like he didn't just burn a match. He like took the whole matchbox and like threw it into the fireplace and was like, I'm going to the front and I'm going to the sand. And it kind of accordioned back together in the in the in the sand when Ailey was there. He, he was riding it, but it definitely was not the same pace as Vanderpool was the lap before through the through the sand when Wout had to get off and you were like mm, this doesn't look good for the for the future of this race so that was it was kind of interesting just watching a guy who I think we we look at you know Zach when we talk about it a lot as the cyclocross tactician really just having not not looking not looking as sharp as he had uh, earlier in the season talking about Wout yeah tactician though versus skills right so like so. I thought that my thought response to you, Zach, actually, is that 
I thought Wow just knows that he has Vanderpool's like Vanderpool can't run right away from him right now. Like I think he knows like this year Vanderpool can't put that five minute effort in and break Wow. That's kind of what I'm saying. That's he what can, I was kind of saying. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't. He right, he had like, a lead and he didn't do it. I guess I was gonna piggyback on that and say like Vanderpool got a gap and he didn't do anything with it. So anyway, yeah, and so like he so hit so in like you watched how it broke down at the end, right? Like it wasn't that you know, wow. Didn't uh, Van Vanderpool rode away. It was, it was that, that having that just slightly better skills that Vanderpool does just, just, just the way he throws the bike around, right? He passes him on a downhill, slight little turn has to skid and keeps it upright. And like, that was it, right? That was the winning move. He gets in front and he wins it. And so, wow. When wow's off the back or, you know, in the beginning of the race, it's like, he's probably, at that point, he's like, yeah, I close any gap. It's okay. I'm there. And then Vanderpool, you know, as I said last episode, like, can he adapt to a different way of winning? I think, I think he did. I think he sort of realized like, yeah, I can't, I can't use my sort of like matchbook to, to blow, blow lead here. I just, I have to use those skills and rely on them. And I, I think that's, that was sort of great to see. Although at the end, once again, you do see that Vanderpool who was just, so blown at the finish of the race and there was a great shot where the broadcast had Vanderpool sitting there and then there was Christoph Ramon in the background getting some you know fabulous shot of him that didn't go unnoticed for me that Vanderpool was blown and Wout was playing with his kid <laughs> at the end of the race I mean I think yeah, I, I'll just say it. Like, my takeaway from this race was that Wout's going to win Worlds. Um, if there's, as long as Hugerhai is not like super fast and like this, I think that if there's any kind of weather, Wout is just super strong and that that took that much out of Machu to do that. <laughs> um, you know, in a race where Wout just got beat on your 100% lack of skills or not having skills at the same level, you know, even at the end of the race, right? Like, Vanderpool bunny hopped quicker <laughs> uh, and Vanderpool has that yeah. ability. And I think we've discussed like, this is kind of how we expect Vanderpool to win races in the future is like by going toe to toe and just because he is better technically, and he does just have a little bit more snap that he can make these, you know, these winning moves. Um, yeah. I mean, I think like in a race back in Belgium, if it's anything like the weather that we saw over curse period, I mean, I thought, I think that well, it's going to win. So here's 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 my question for you all when we're talking about Vanderpool. We you know, it's been well documented and we've talked about a lot about his back and about his, you know, not being a hundred percent. He said after this rate race that his back was fine and it didn't give him any issues during the race. However, as we talked about in the first 15 minutes of this show, this was not a typical cyclocross race. This was pretty fast, pretty it didn't seem like it was, you know, some of the riders, I think were comparing it to Moss Mechelen, uh, just in the, in the, in the terrain. But I think there was a lot, it, that was like beating the hell out of people cause it was so bumpy and it was just hard, so hard on people's bodies. I didn't get that kind of, uh, hear that kind of feedback from this race. So it seemed like it might've even been easier on him as far as having to put out that power in the mud and that kind of things, or even just going through like super bumpy terrain it's going to be a little different once you get to, to Hogerheide. So is this also a case where the, the terrain helped Vanderpool and that it was not stressing his back as much as maybe some of these other courses? Or do you think, yeah. or do you think he's healed and a hundred percent? 
No, he's definitely not 100%. And I think that you're right. And I think that, you know, the first time, first lap, he rode through the sand. And I thought, ooh, is that gonna is that gonna trigger the back pain? But it, it it didn't seem like it was. You know, I think it was sort of maybe dry enough that they could sort of. It wasn't too heavy. Uh, I did notice that today Vanderpool is racing Bessasson, Bessasson. Um, so he's doing one more race, maybe in more um, muddier, wetter conditions. That will test that back. I think that will be a good litmus test um, for sort of where where that's at. I can tell you that his back is not healed because uh, he asked about, like, what did I do this weekend? I went to a high school basketball tournament and sat on bleachers, and now I have severe back pain again. So literally anything can aggravate your back pain, um, but it seems like maybe this course didn't. It had a decent amount of, like, dismounting. I mean, there were a couple sections of, st- at least, what, two stair sections or whatever. Um, but, yeah, probably not trying. A couple weeks off definitely helps, and so... Yeah, I mean, for his for his sake, hopefully he can continue to stay fresh and not have the back issues and be able to to bring his best um, to Hoogerheide. And certainly, if it does come down to a last lap battle, if he's able to to hang in there, and if it comes to that, I think it's still pretty clear that he has an advantage over Van Air down the wire. He's just, you know, again, like Michael said, just his skill and his ability gives him a one up in those tight head to head battles. I mean, look at the look at the passes, like. <laughs> My God, the one that he made before the the sand section, like, <laughs> yeah, he pushed Wout so wide. I mean, like, you saw that turn, and you thought, like, you would you would expect to see Wout go, oh, like, throw his hand up in disgust, like, because he just just he took the inside line and pushed him out. So, like, just but, he, but Wout didn't do it. He just kept riding on, and like it was. And and he was, was he was right there. I mean, let's talk about the finish. He was right there. He was right with him in a a normal race finish where you have a normal finishing stretch. And you you know, if this were a road race, Michael, he was exactly where he wants to be. He was sitting on Vanderpool's shoulder, making that last turn into the finish, right? But yeah, then what happened? Well, <laughs> so a bunch of things happened. One, there wasn't any room. Also, he. He 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 skimmed the barriers. It it's weird. I don't know if the, the it looks like the barriers were sort of undulating in and out, and he like sort of like scooped into one of them perfectly. Um, I don't know if those moved during the race, but yeah, I mean like they come into that, and you wanted to be the you wanted to be the front, obviously for that sprint. They all know that Vanderpool knew that. Um, so there was really nowhere for Wow didn't even contest really because he couldn't contest. The sprint was over. Um, I saw someone talking about Wout taking a different line, but just the speeds they were going, I think that was the line he was on. Um, so it will be interesting though, because in Hoogerheide, we do know that the finish is longer. So you have it off camber, maybe better ridden by Vanderpool, but you do have a longer road finish. So could Wout, you know, if Van- Matthew gets the advantage there, win it on that section but yeah we'll see that'll 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 provide a better test i mean because we like these two up wout vanderpool sprints one interesting thing that wout did say is that which i maybe you guys can explain but he said that he was focusing too much and staying on the front instead of trying to win the race uh i think is an explanation of why he got passed and i was just kind of curious about that um i because it seemed to me that 
with with a finish before the finish, you want to you're in better shape if you're second wheel, right? Because there's so much pressure on the rider in front to protect every line, to stay on the front, to make sure that you're accelerating just enough. You know, if they come beside you, it's getting your elbow out and making sure that you uh, kind of shove them back a little bit, like what happened between uh, Puck and and Femme. Um, but I just thought that was that was just kind of kind of interesting and maybe like that's what he was talking about like tactically maybe he didn't want to be on the front at the moment that he was that you want to be the last guy to make the move yeah for sure and especially with this course where there was no finishing straight and this kind of became a a point of contention actually cyclocross 24 if you look at their twitter feed they even posed that the finishing stretch was set up for marketing versus uh rider safety because it had the nice shot of the cityscape behind it and if you look at the aerial views they could have come just perfectly straight for the legal amount of the finishing without having to put that turn into there where Wout got it wrong and then we would have had a nice long sprint so they're they're kind of uh making the point that maybe this was done just so it was a better photo op at the end versus a, a good sprint because it was sure it was not, you know, and I, I sort of tweeted at Jens Decker. I was like, well, you, you know, I know you're not going to do your review for a while, but you already know at least one of the rules violation that finishing stretch was nowhere near long enough. And it wasn't. And I think that that was kind of unfortunate because it, 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 it robbed us of, I believe what, what could have been a really, really cool finish in that race. Yes. Although I guess, you know, like based on what we're talking about, and Michael said, I think like a sprint between them at Hooger Heide would be the perfect culmination of this cyclocross oh, and, season. And, and Hooger Heide is, is, yeah, is, is, you know, epic sprint territories an uphill, long, long, long uphill sprint. You got that, you know, you, you, you have Hooger Heide is the best finish in that you have a tough up. You have a tough down, you have stairs that you have to climb for a minute, and then you have a super tough off camber, and then you turn around and you set up for your sprint. There's so much you have to think about before you even get to the sprint. So you can, like, people are talking about, like, if Hogerheide is a good track or not. I, I don't even want to get into that. I think it's an iconic venue. But as far as the finish goes, and sort of that little, that whole sign of final quarter of the course it's it's pretty darn good and we've seen some pretty epic finishes i mean i think alvarado throwing away the uh not throwing away losing the the world cup <laughs> leaders jersey on that finish is is one that always comes to mind for me oh world cup leaders jersey should we talk about it let's do it the subplot mikey the v subplot? mikey v scared was he scared didn't want any of that didn't he want of that lauren sweck action the swag swagger, as you said. Um, yeah. So we'll just, you know, to sort of wrap up that the men's race, you know, you did have a group of four come to the end that last lap. And and Sweek was there and Ellie was there. Um, Michael Vanternout, who was in a closer battle with Sweek for the overall, uh, fell sick, so didn't race. Um, and, you know, we, there was also the, the drama between the two of them that we sort of we thought maybe we'd have another incident. Probably not. They seem like they're guys who would um, not really sort of like bring it out into the race, but, but sweet, sweet comes away. I, you know, kudos to Ellie. Like I said before, like I, he was racing, like he wanted to get mentioned on the podcast and he has got mentioned multiple times and he, he did a good race. He got third. I thought, 
after the race, I totally thought Swick won because I saw Swick, you know, post up, like got the jersey. I'm like, oh yeah, Swick got third, you know, on the podium. No, it was Ellie. Ellie got third. Um, so, you know, I, if you're looking at the Swick versus Van Turnout, like tape, tell the tape, Swick's got World Cup leaders jersey, Van Turnout's got Euros and Belgian Nats. Um, he also, I mean, he won at Namur. I mean, I, I don't know. It was the head to head's pretty close, but I need to dive into the numbers to see who had a better season. But they both made strong cases for sort of being that guy that took over, um, took over for Ellie and took over for, you know, let's not forget Tone Arts. Well, fortunately, I'm pretty sure for the bulletin uh, that we'll be doing an in-depth analysis using our Stibar metrics to break down. So you know exactly yes. who's going to finish third in the elite women's race and who's going to finish third in the elite men's race in Hoogerheide. So we'll, we'll make sure to do that before before World's Week. Amazing. And, and, and you're right, Michael, the one thing about uh, SWEC winning and also Femme winning is that I don't think either of them necessarily have to win or even compete next week in Besançon, right? Both of them have secured the World Cup title, so it's it's kind of great, you know. Sweat Sweat could go back and uh, and pull a Hulaham and just be uh, swigging some champagne on the uh, start line of Besançon. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure Femme I think announced that she's racing at Hama and not Besançon, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so y'all can correct me if that's incorrect. But my other point, like. This felt like uh, this finish felt like uh, the USCX series where like three of the top four went home happy. Just everyone was happy, you know, like Matthew was happy. He won the race like uh, Ailey was happy because he was on. Was it the first time at a World Cup ever with Wow and yes. Matthew and Sweat got to pop the pop his team and, you know, he won the World Cup overall. Like everyone was going home happy except for Wow. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Wout was able to. You know, he's probably still going home happy anyway. Got to go to Spain, hang out with his uh, wife and kid. Anything else we need to chat about for uh, for this one? Uh, I just, just Zach. You know, you pointed out that Femme's racing um, uh, Hama. Sorry. Yes, Femme's racing Hama. She's 49 seconds behind Lucinda Brand in the overall. Uh, so. She might be able to wrap up that series too. I mean, she is it the yeah, last race? That's, that's, that's a big gap, but no, there's there's three more races. Okay, so she could possibly build a bigger gap and uh, come back to to Brand. Anyway, do you think that she'll race? I I doubt she'll race after Worlds, though. I don't know. She's I feel been like uncon- she might. You think so? I, I, okay. So no, I think because I think yeah, I think if she she's 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 skipping Besançon, she's raced every World Cup. She's skipping Mesosan uh, and doing Hama. She would do Worlds. Let's say she wins. I could see her then trying to chase down the X2O jersey because the World Cup's over. Should we call it there? I think so. All right. We'll see you all uh, next time for Besosan and for uh, Zach giving us the... Uh, what do we do? What do we do for the? Oh, you have to do it for this race. Yes, we're gonna over. We're gonna overreact. Overreact. Yes, we yeah. also have my, one of my favorite Michael Pums. We have Hama time next weekend as well, so it's a <laughs> twofer. <laughs> all right, we'll see y'all next time.
there's an elegance to bike racing. For all its technology and engineering, it's a simple question of physics. How do you move a body through space as quickly and efficiently as possible? When the rider and the machine work as one, it's almost as if the solid world has melted away and all that remains is the spirit, the pure, raw, and unfiltered soul of sport. Life is measured in many units, miles, kilometers, kilos, and pounds, but we measure it one corner at a time. We've entered the golden age of crit racing, the most exciting spectator event in sport, where all of human drama plays out before us on our city streets. On this show, we bring you the news of the day and take you inside the personalities of the teams and riders and right up to the gates of the premier events in the world. Welcome to Criterium Nation. Criterium Nation. 